Welcome to the ministry of the International Christian Assembly in Southeast Spain. We are here for the purpose of worshipping God and reaching others with love. We pray that as you listen, you will be inspired and challenged in your walk with God. Sometimes uh, we talk about privilege, and it sort of rolls off our tongues. Whenever you stand up, you'll say, oh, it's a great privilege for us to be here. But I want to say this, it is an incredible privilege for Sheila and myself to be here, to be having fellowship with you as we have enjoyed it over the years, to hear the good news this morning from South America, whether it's Colombia or Nicaragua. One of the greatest trips I ever made was to Peru. And there were a team of us went there. We were there for 30 days and I preached 36 times and it took me six months to recover. <laughs> but it was one of the highlights and blessings of my life. And whenever we come here, it's great to see old friends this morning, uh, someone from my home village. County Tyrone, there's probably a few hundred people in this village. You all have heard of it, Castle Caulfield. Oh, yes, yes. It's great how Wesley and his wife have fellowship with us. He's come out of his way, and they're on their way to Cartagena to see them and have fellowship with them. And it's just, it's a blessing, isn't it? You know? And whenever you think about where you've been teaching theology, the study of God, it just reminds you that sounds such a, an intense, an incredible subject. And yet really that's the subject that we ask from we're knee high to a grasshopper, from we're small. What is God like? And you know, books have been written, I've read them. Some of the greatest books I've read, Jim Packer's Knowing God, A.W. Tozer, The Knowledge of the Holy. And yet I was thinking whenever we were preparing for this visit, sometimes what we need to do is just go back and ask ourselves, what does God say about himself? Do you understand what I'm saying? We're always reading what other people think about God, but what is it? And my thoughts turn to this passage of Scripture in Exodus 33. Remember, Moses had gone up the mountain. The people had strayed. They had made the calf. And Moses had broken the stones, the tablets of stones, the Ten Commandments. He come down. God's judgment had reigned. God said, I'm not going to go with you. You go on your own. And Moses pleaded with him, oh Lord, if, if you don't go with us, we're not going into the promised land. And then he said, Lord, show me your glory. Just give me, just give me a little taste of what you're like. And God says in Exodus 33, you can't see my face, but I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock. I'm going to pass by. And when I pass by, you're going to get a glimpse of my glory. I want you to think about that. The glory of God. What is the glory of God? The glory of God is the outshining of all that God is. So when we go to Isaiah, and you see Isaiah, the year that King Uzziah died, chapter 6, Isaiah gets this glimpse of the glory of God. And the angels, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, and the whole earth is full of His glory. Ezekiel and others in the old covenant. Then you come and you, you, you get to look at Matthew and, and, and the coming of the angels and the glory of the Lord shone round about. 
And we know that progressive revelation, in other words, God starts at Genesis and little by little he reveals more about himself. Do you get the Lord Jesus coming and him was all the fullness of God? In John chapter 1 it says, we beheld his glory when we get to John 14 and the disciples say to him, he's just said to them, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. And, and Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and then we believe. And Jesus says, have I been with you so long? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And we say to people, you want to know what God's like? You take a long look at Jesus. But here, right at the beginning of God's revelation, we get this incredible picture. I've called it God's declaration, if we go to the next one. What God declares to be true about himself. And as we drink about this, let's not think intellectually. Let's not just think, you know, oh, this is good to know what God's like. Let's think what this will mean to us personally. When God goes by and he says, the Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, the merciful or compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, Abounding in love, maintaining love to thousands. Forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. And yet not letting the guilty go unpunished. And you begin to see what God is like. He's, he's a compassionate God. He's a loving God. He's a gracious. You know, all those things that we know are to forgiving, faithful. And whenever... The interesting thing is you go through the Old Testament, over and over again, you actually see that it is that declaration of God that impacts his ancient people. Remember in the book of Nehemiah, Ezra had come back, the temple had re been rebuilt, Nehemiah's there in Susha. The report comes, the walls are burnt around Jerusalem and Nehemiah goes back. And he begins to see the, the, the terrible consequences of God's people being disobedient. And he begins to pray to God. It's a tremendous, actually, it's a tremendous story of revival in the, in the book of Nehemiah. When they found the word of the God and they started to read it and believe it and act upon it. But Nehemiah prays, oh God, I'm coming here and I'm praying. I'm identifying corporately. We have sinned. And yet, Lord, because you're merciful and compassionate and loving, oh God, please, because you're slow to anger and faithful, because you're a God who maintains love to thought. He says exactly the same thing. Because this is what you've declared, shown, revealed yourself to be. Please come and forgive us, heal and move again. And they did. And yet, the next one there, the psalmist actually is a lovely one in Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And on the basis of knowing what God is like, the psalmist is lifted in worship. But the one that maybe gets me the most is, is the book of Jonah. Because Jonah, we know, God gave a, a, a mandate to. He gave him a commission to go to Nineveh and preach judgment and Jonah said, oh, Lord, I'm going to go. And he just went the opposite direction. He went ahead for Spain. Did you know that? 
He went to hide in Spain. And what God did whenever he was thrown overboard in the midst of the storm and the, the fish swallowed him and then vomited him out. Oh, that's very crude, sorry. Puked, no, no, puke's even worse. Regurgitate, is that better? Is that more polite? Yes. Less earthy. Whenever he regurgitated him out and Jonah went through this absolutely large city, 120,000 people, 40 days and God's judgment's going to come. You pagan, you heathens, you self-sacrificing idolaters. And from the king down, they repented. And they wore ash, ashes and sackcloth. And then we'd, we'd, we actually see this revival. Nehemiah prayed on the basis of what God was like for revival. And God moved amongst his ancient people. Jonah preaches the, the judgment of God. And God moves amongst these heathen, Gentile people. They repent. And God reneges. He changes his mind. Well, we know that he knew what was going to happen all along. And you know what Jonah does? He goes into the biggest huff, the biggest sulk. And he sort of can just see him with his thumb in his mouth saying, oh, I knew that you were going to do that because that's what you're like. And he actually he actually quotes this very passage. Lord, I knew that you were merciful, compassionate, loving, gracious, full of patience, slow to anger, faithful, forgiving. Because he knew what God is like. This is amazing. Because he had such prejudice and hatred and sectarianism in his heart, towards these unbelieving Ninevites. He did not want them to experience God's mercy. And he goes out into the desert and God grows a gourd. And then the gourd withers. And Jonah gets all upset about a gourd and God says, you're more worried about a gourd than you are about souls getting saved. Let me tell you this, and I can say this on the authority of coming from a land where we are not unknown for our prejudice. We are not unknown for our sectarianism. Let me tell you, there is not a person's heart in this world that is not prejudiced in some way. Race, ethnicity, color, background, religion, it doesn't matter. It is part of a sinful fallen world. In Africa, where I was saved and taught for a year, I saw a tribe against tribe. They kicked out the British. That was good news, wasn't it? I'm going to be really popular now. And yet what you found in Africa was it wasn't white against black. It was now black against black. <coughs> tribe against tribe. All over the world. And this thought came to me. Lord, how do we see people as you see them. We go to the next one. And then I thought about mercy. What is mercy? It is linked to compassion. Compassion, if you think about that word, compassion, to feel with. We, we see everywhere we go in Scripture that God is a compassionate God. He feels with people. This morning we have a great high priest in Jesus. Now think about this in Hebrews 2 and Hebrews 4. A high priest who can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. I love that. 
It's linked to love, it's linked to grace, but mercy is different. There's a nuance there. I remember years ago hearing the story, I've never forgotten it, of how in the Second World War an officer and some British soldiers came across a wounded German soldier. They stopped, the officer said, look, clean up his wounds, minister to him, and they cleaned his wounds, they, they ministered to him. And as they ministered to him, as he turned, the German soldier went to shoot the officer. And the men went to shoot the German soldier. And the officer said, no, don't. Picture of grace is arriving into a situation and giving something to someone that they don't deserve. Isn't that grace? The essence of grace, God's grace. They ministered healing to someone who really didn't deserve it. But then whenever he went to take the life, they ministered mercy. They didn't give him what he did deserve. They didn't take his life where he had tried to take the life of the officer. Grace is giving us what we don't deserve. Mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. And yet, you know, that still isn't a big enough picture. Whenever we think about God's mercy, I want us to just go a step further and think about its compassion. It's the compassion of God that is in action. Now, I want you to stay there because I think that people could get confused over this very easily. A.W. Tozer, who's one of my favorite people to read, tells a story about how in Toronto, Canada, where he was ministering, in a church there. There was an old man who went round with a horse and cart gathering uh, rubbish, step to and son. And as one day he was going round, his horse suddenly fell dead. And so a crowd gathered round and they started to be sympathetic and say, oh, we're so sorry. We're so very sorry. We're so sorry. This is terrible. And Tozer said there was an Irishman there, I have to just put that in, that Tozer said it. And suddenly he stuck a hand in his pocket and he took out $10 and he said, I'm $10 worth of sorry. I want to stop just for a moment because, you know, I think that often we look at the world and we think that we have compassion. If grace deals with man in his guilt... And it does. If grace deals with man in his guilt, then mercy deals with us in the misery that our sin produces. And God, when he looks down, doesn't just look with compassion and say, oh, I'm so sorry about those people. If you go through, especially go through the life of Jesus and what you see over and over and over again, here was someone who was, here's the word, moved with compassion. If you want to go to the next one, please, and we think about this, especially, I think, in the life of Jesus. And I love this verse in Matthew 9, 36. It says, where he saw the multitudes, when he saw them, he had compassion on them because he saw them helpless and harassed as sheep without a shepherd. And what we read in the next passage is, if we go through this, in chapter 14, verse 14, he's in the boat. The crowds have, uh, in a sense, 
pushed him out into the boat. He gets off the boat. The crowd reaches back into him and then it says he had compassion on them and he reached out and healed those who were sick. In chapter 15, the, the next verse, if we have that, and uh, again, it's the feeding. He fed 5,000, now it's 4,000. So he said to his disciples, you feed them. And they said, you know, how can we? And the Lord again performs that miracle of ministering mercy, of seeing people in their need. And as he saw them in their need, he did something about it. I think that's been a challenge to me. We not go to Matthew chapter 20, verse 34. But again, it's just exactly the same. He touched their eyes and he healed them. And Mark 1, verse 21, 41, he saw and he healed. Be clean, I'm willing. And so if that's the way the Lord Jesus is, if that's what Jesus is like, then what I'm saying this morning is, if I'm not like that, I'm not like Jesus. Now, what I'm going to, here's the, here's the clarity. Please hear this. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But the faith that saves is never alone. Do you hear that? In other words, if we are rooted in Christ, then there will be fruit produced, the fruit of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance, faithfulness. There will be the outworking of the life of Christ through the Holy Spirit in our lives, ministering in a world of need. We are light and darkness. We are salt in this world. And so it's never simply saying, oh, I, I believe in Jesus. Even the demons believe, and we have lost my notes, and those are the only notes that I have. And that's why whenever we come to the passage, which is probably the most familiar parable of all, the parable of the Good Samaritan, whenever we have a religious Jew who you know, comes to Jesus and says, you know, what's the most important? What is the most important commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, love your neighbor as yourself. And immediately, just like Jonah, because the Jews believe that my neighbor is my neighbor Jew, and certainly not a Gentile, and it's certainly not a Samaritan, a mongrel Jew. Jesus told a story about the man who went down and Jericho was a city of priests. As he went down, here was this man who was led upon, assaulted, robbed, left for dead. The priest, the religious people walk by, oh, we can't touch, we'll be unclean. Oh, we'll walk by, Levite, we're on our way. We're on our way to worship God. We're on our way to do religious things. And a Samaritan comes along. A Samaritan, now you can nearly, nearly feel whenever Jesus says a Samaritan, here's the Jewish crowd and they're all going, what? A Samaritan? They were prejudiced even in Jesus' day. Did you know that? And the Samaritan, of course, goes and ministers into his life, oil, bandage, takes him to the inn, says, look, whatever it costs, here's some 
And then the great question, who was a neighbor? That's an interesting one. No, who is my neighbor? Who was a neighbor to the man who was attacked? The Samaritan. Listen, go and do likewise. We've got to get over our prejudices. We need to ask the Spirit of God to deal. Whenever we look at people, how do we look at people? And I just want to ask, you know, sometimes we look down on young people. Young people look down on old people. You know, there's ageism. There's all kind of isms out there. But I guarantee you, if we're absolutely honest, there's not one single person of us here who does not have some kind of prejudice against someone. And Jesus said, I want you to see them as I see them, with compassion, sheep without a shepherd, helpless and hopeless. And whenever he tells the story of the tax collector, the amazing thing is the religious, the religious again get a hammering, don't they? Here's, here's the man, the Pharisee, and he's in the temple. Oh God, thank you that I'm not like other people. I don't just do what you ask me to do. I tithe more than you want me to tithe, Lord. I'm so generous. I'm such a good person. I give fast more. You only want me once a week, Lord. I fast all the time. I don't have righteousness. I have righteousness and despair. And suddenly in the corner, not even able to lift up his head is this tax collector. And you know what's interesting what he says? He says, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. If you look back at your Greek New Testament, I discovered that what he actually said was this. There's the definite article. What he said was, Oh God, have mercy upon me, the. The definite article's there. The sinner. He wasn't comparing himself like the Pharisee to other people. That's what we tend to do. We're not so bad whenever we compare ourselves to some people in the world. There's always somebody worse than yourself. Of course, there's always somebody better than yourself. But when we compare ourselves to the standards of God, all of us, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Jesus said the tax collector went home right with God, justified. Let's go to the last. Here's what salvation looks like. For me, what does salvation look like? The Beatitudes, be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. Blessed are those who are merciful, full of mercy, full of active compassion. 9.13, again we could go through these where he's quoting the Old Testament, actually Hosea 6.6, 6, the Lord Jesus says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I'm not saying that God isn't pleased with us coming along here today, but if all our Christianity is, is turning up on a Sunday morning and singing some hymns, giving some money, listening to a sermon, going out unaffected, unchanged, then we have lost the plot about the gospel of Jesus. It's interesting, and I would love to read this because I'm going to go, uh, no time has gone, but in Matthew 25, if you have a Bible, I think one of the most startling passages, if I can just get here, in Matthew chapter 25, The Lord Jesus is speaking about 
the second coming. He's told several parables, the parable of the virgins. And we'll go to verse 37. No, we'll go to verse 34. He's just put the sheep on his right, the goats on his left. In verse 34 of Matthew 25, we read this. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was ill and you looked after me. I was in prison and you visited me. But then the righteous will answer. Here's the amazing thing. They're not even aware. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you ill or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. We're here to minister. We're all ministers. Every single person, every child of God is a minister. But then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. You didn't clothe me. You didn't heal me. You didn't visit me in prison. Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or clothes or ill? And he replied, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. The whole point about Jesus giving the branches and the vine, if we are connected to the vine, if we're connected to Jesus, if we're in fellowship with the living God, with a, with a loving Savior, then what I'm telling you is this. We will live different lives. God will not allow us simply to make a profession of faith. In Luke chapter 6, verse 27, we often say, oh, Christianity says, love your enemies. It doesn't just say that. It says, do good to those who hate you. I'm involved at home in uh, an anti-abortion movement, pro-life movement. And I have been there in the open air whenever there has been a lot of vitriolic opposition. Let's just put it like that. How do I deal with that? Well, if, if I'm a Christian, then I deal with that with grace and mercy. I deal, I deal with that by loving those people and praying for those people. And I've seen in Christianity at home, and I don't know whether it's in other places, but I've seen a kind of a hardness where people regard these, oh, they're enemies of the gospel. And so they are attacked verbally, at least maybe in other ways. And I'm saying, they're what? Hold on here. We're, we're dealing with people who are blind. The God of this world has blinded them. We're deal, dealing with people who are dead. They're dead in trespasses and sins. How can, we, how can we be against people who are blind and dead? We need to, to love them, to care for them, to do good for them, to be merciful to them. That's what Jesus did. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, the counterculture of really being a Christian, really being a Christian, just turns everything this world does on its head. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world, else would my servants fight. But a lot of Christians love a good fight. 
and not the fight of faith. And yet whenever we go, and I'll finish with this, Micah 6 and verse 8, what's required of you, man, woman of God? What's what is God looking for today? God's looking for us to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Let's pray together. Father, it's a privilege to be your child in this dark world, to have experienced the grace, the forgiving grace, and mercy and faithfulness and love of a heavenly Father and a loving Savior. We pray for ourselves today, Lord, in the closing moments of this service, that something would sink deep into our being, our soul, our heart, our minds, that would help us to see this world as you see it. Help us to care for it as you care for it. Not the evil society that is out there, Lord, not that sense, but in the sense of people, men, women, young people, boys and girls. Help us to look in this world with compassion and be merciful. For Jesus' sake, amen. Thank you for listening to the ministry of the International Christian Assembly, the ministry of AMG Spain and AMG International. For more information, please visit our website at www.icatorrevieja.org. This audio file is not copyrighted.